0: Hey friends, Heather Avis here. As I'm sure all of you listeners know, The Lucky Few is an invitation to build a kinder, more inclusive world. We accomplish this through a combination of advocacy and activism, of narrative shifting and storytelling. The Lucky Few believes in inspiring and challenging our audience, that's you, calling all of us to listen, read, share, contribute, and support as we work together to create a world where differences are embraced and everybody belongs. This year, if year-end giving is something that you participate in, then we invite you to join these efforts even more and financially partner with The Lucky Few. As an official 501c3, which is the fancy way of saying nonprofit, all donations are tax deductible. Head to theluckyfew.com to give. Please know we cherish your generosity. We are so thrilled to do this narrative shifting work together. Happy holidays, friends. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Lucky Few Podcast where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. It's me, Heather, and it's almost Christmas. So Merry Christmas in just a few days. I hope everybody's doing well, staying healthy, getting to do some stuff with their loved ones. I'm really excited to replay this week's episode. This is one of my favorite conversations I've had. I mean, not just this year, but since the podcast has come out. So today I'm excited to be re-releasing my interview with Justin Hawkins, who is a PhD candidate at Yale University. He has a sibling who has Down syndrome, a sister who has Down syndrome, and he wrote an article that came out this year called Dignity Beyond Accomplishment. This article put into words so many ideas around Down syndrome and worth and value and humanity that have been in my heart and mind. And he put that into words in such a powerful way. This conversation, if you've listened to it once, it's worth listening to again and again, and definitely worth a share to family and friends. So thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Lucky Few podcast.
1: Okay, I need to tell you about my new friend, Megan, who has an awesome company called Oxygen Fitness Coaching. And she provides a 12-week mom restore system for busy moms suffering from low energy who want to improve their health without strict diets and hours at the gym. And also the 20-minute boost program, which is a daily 20-minute workout you can do right in your home and even with your kids to improve your strength, fitness, and flexibility. We all know that being moms to a child with a disability, sometimes our health can take a back burner. So please check out Megan, who is also a mother to a child with Down syndrome. And she's got a lot of wonderful attainable ways to improve your health through her program. So please, follow oxygen fitness coaching on instagram and facebook and the lucky few Podcast has a, the, our own coupon code lucky few and you can get one month free by using that code and get connected and get healthy ladies
0: Okay, ladies. So we, uh, I think it's episode 99 and I, and I mentioned it in the interview with Justin, but we did a little conversation about the article from the Atlantic Mm -hmm. called the last children of down syndrome. And after that, somebody had sent me this article by Justin called dignity beyond accomplishment. And it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, It blew my mind. And I, and he has a sibling with down syndrome, which just is all the more reason to, to hear him out. Yes. Right. I think like yeah. there's a level of trust there in what he has to say. And so I got to talk to him. <gasps> He's so yeah. a long time. smart and well-spoken.
1: Yeah. I can't wait. Really mm-hmm. smart.
0: I know. I am intimidated to. Interview someone who has a, P- who's a PhD candidate at
1: Yale. As <laughs> uh, heard of it, <laughs> I heard of Yale.
0: <laughs> and here we go, guys. Uh, my conversation with Justin Hawkins. Okay, tell so Justin, tell me. Let's start with you. Where are you at? Your family, your career, just yeah. a little bit about who you are.
2: Sure. So my name is Justin Hawkins, and I'm a PhD student at Yale University, and I'm studying ethics and politics, basically. Uh, so I grew up in Pennsylvania with my family. My dad's a pastor, and my mom homeschooled all four of us kids. Wow. And I have a little sister named Jenna Hawkins. She's 27 years old. She swims like a mermaid. She loves karaoke. Uh, she's got an amazing sense of humor, and she has Down syndrome as well. So in this article, dignity beyond accomplishment, I wrote a little bit about her life and what it teaches us about a life uh, worth living.
0: Amazing! What's your birth order of the four?
2: Justin, Jordan, Jenna, Jessica. So I yes. am first, and Jenna is third. You get very homeschool, right? They're all, the, all all the same. We had dogs named uh, Jasper and Jake as well. So you had okay. to keep the kind of you gotta keep, keep the Jays, yeah.
0: That's my favorite. We I have good friends who homeschool. They have six kids, and all their kids have J names. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> and their that's last right. name is a J name. It's that's perfect. awesome. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what was that that show? The Duggards. Yes. I do know. They I had like know. all J names. I think they had like seventeen kids. Is that right? Well, I don't know, but close. You start having
2: know. to having to invent names at that point. I think <laughs> exactly,
0: yeah. which is very um, western, at least very Californian to be invented. Is that right? Like white white hipster. Let's just is that is name. that right? totally i think so have you i've been to pennsylvania i've been to Lititz.
2: yes called, yes uh, oh my gosh
0: what a dreamy we, town we,
2: <laughs> we played against Lidditz in my homeschool bas- basketball league in there high school the Lidditz llamas were there oh my gosh um, yes yeah, and they and they wore these like lime green t-shirts i don't know what that had to do i don't know what Lititz had to do with llamas or what the lime green had to do with the llamas either but I remember that um we beat them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
0: Oh, that is too good. I maybe That's the, very funny. lititz llamas, and lime green. Maybe it's just
2: for alliteration, <laughs> maybe, so. yeah, yeah. Who knows? See, Who they're knows? all homes they're all homeschooled too, right? So you gotta have the, oh, the,
0: same, hilarious. the same the same letter. Yeah. What were you That's, doing in lititz I was speaking at an event. I love it. For, yeah, for disability. It was great. <laughs> I was there for like twenty four hours and thought I would yeah. I want to bring my family here. This it was so point and it's so yeah it's so
2: bucolic and nice did you see the Amish buggies and everything on the side of the road
0: I didn't uh -uh, I didn't um but my grandparents my grandma lives in Iowa in a tiny city in Iowa and there's a lot of Amish families in Iowa yeah so I've in my childhood seen quite a few that's that's a different podcast that's a different
2: for sure for sure sure. (laughs) I'm going back to Pennsylvania tomorrow and I'm gonna take my girlfriend out to uh to see Lancaster and that whole area because it's just so beautiful yeah
0: I love that. So good. Okay. So let's get to this article. So the, sure. the reason that we're, that I know of you is because somebody sent me an article that you wrote in mere orthodoxy called dignity beyond accomplishment, which you mentioned in introducing yourself. And it came out shortly after the article in the Atlantic called the last children of down syndrome, which we have episode 99. We've talked about that. If listeners want to go back and listen to a little bit of that. And so my question was, did this, did that article in the Atlantic inspire or was that a jumping off point for you for this article?
2: Yeah, in many ways it was. Uh, It was the cover story in the, in that issue of the Atlantic. And so it was one of the, the highest profile treatments of, of Down syndrome and the kind of social condition around people with Down syndrome um, in recent media. Uh, what really struck me, though, was that it came out within a few months of these two other articles, um, the one in the New York Times about the young man with Down syndrome, who was the first to complete a full Ironman. Mm-hmm. And then the third one was a BBC article about uh, women being offered abortions when it becomes clear that their uh, their children have that that the, they, they receive these prenatal tests. And it comes back um, likely or positive for, for Down syndrome. So those three articles together were the ones that really spurred my, my thinking alongside some of the academic research that I've been doing and thinking about over the last few years on disability. And I thought, you know, I think there's something here uh, to write about. And so I asked jenna's permission as i always do if i could talk about her in public and she always very generously says says yes so i wrote this over the course of a couple months and i uh i read it to my family and some of them cried when i first read it i thought okay this is this is the right thing here so yeah. that was what motivated it yeah
0: i love that we actually had chris nickick and his coach on yeah. on the, on yeah. the podcast um, Great, right yeah really a really cool guy and his coach was has a lot of energy and was a really cool guy that was that was a good interview and we'll get to that because it's i feel like i'm just going to be jumping around here but Sure, uh, sure sure it's so interesting what you that you brought chris nickick up and how what it what is happening and what it looks like when people with down syndrome are highlighted in a sense of excellency So let's, we'll come back to that. But you start the article out talking about your sister, Jenna, who overdoses on, on some pills,
2: diuretic pills, (laughs) diuretic
0: pills at Christmas, right? Yes. Do you have like a very clear memory of this? Uh, Yeah, I
2: I remember, I remember the, the fluffy shoulder pads that she had on her dress. That's the thing I remember most vividly. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, then I remember that we had to stay over at grandma and grandpa's house, which they didn't have like a lot of toys or anything. So it was a little bit boring, you know? Um, and my mom filled in the rest of the details okay. afterwards, but, but yeah, she, I mean, there were diuretic pills and they were at my grandma. They were my grandma's house. They, they weren't Jenna's pills. And, um, and I guess they le- got left open and she snuck out of view and she, uh, she took these pills. Wow. And I love you talk
0: about your mom, how by then she had acquired a protective streak mm-hmm. that I think every parent acquires. And I know for myself talking to a lot of moms who have kids with Down syndrome or caretakers who have one with Down syndrome. It's, it's heightened and you share this story and then you jump in one of the lines that you say right away that I'm like, ah, this is so good is once again, the usual practices did not apply in, in regards to Jenna's experience in the hospital in that moment, there was little room for Jenna in the best practices. Mm-hmm. of the hospital. And mm-hmm. you're talking about simple things like putting an IV in yeah. or she needed a tube up her nose and just the way that her, like people with Down syndrome had to have a, a smaller bridge or no bridge. And that is, I've, I felt like even as someone who agrees with that and sees that and, and believes mm-hmm. that, that felt like a knee jerk, you know, cause it's mm-hmm. like the story, the story, and then, and the systems in place. Mm don't work.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: How have you seen that? Can you look back at your childhood even in growing up, how you've seen that as the brother, as the sibling Mm -hmm. of like, wait, this doesn't, this isn't working even in the best practices.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think growing up, I was relatively unaware uh, that Jenna even had Down syndrome Mm. um, because she was just Jenna. And and there's something I think, unique and and strange in my own um my own thinking about jenna where you know if she's at a thing like uh, a sort of special olympics event or a um a miracle miracle league baseball league somewhere where a lot of uh folks with with down syndrome are all together um i will notice the down syndrome and everybody else you know they have the certain um typical facial features and physical characteristics, but I don't notice it in Jenna because Jenna's just Jenna, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to remind myself, okay, well, she has Down syndrome uh, as well. And so there's something really, it, it seems to me that I, I knew Jenna before I knew Down syndrome and I only mm-hmm. came to know Down syndrome through the knowing of, of Jenna. So uh, I wasn't really aware in many ways about the ways that my mother had to advocate for Jenna when I was growing up, because I didn't, uh, I didn't know. Um, I wasn't aware. Right. So a lot of the stories that I have came to me secondhand from my, from my parents. Um, And there are things like, you know, my mother had to advocate for Jenna's life uh, against people who continued to offer her terminations after um, after she got some some tests back that suggested that Jenna would probably be born with with Down syndrome. Um, I and that's not something that she had to do for the for the rest of us. Um, I remember that there were moments when Jenna would incur other kinds of, of injuries, um, maybe because she has low muscle mass or something like this or, um, she she would walk around with her tongue sticking out all the time uh, sometimes and one time she fell and she bit a hole through her oh. tongue and uh, you just don't know what to do with that sort of thing sure. it's not something that you often have to um, have to deal with but in the particular story that I that I tell here um it's very clear that you have a a, a case of a person who overdosed on pills. Um, And again, let's be clear. Jenna thought they were candy, right? She wasn't intending anything, anything nefarious. She thought they were candy. And so she overdoses on pills and, and look, you know, I, I sincerely think that most medical providers are doing the best that they can and are following their, their best training. If you ask them, a lot of them feel underprepared for the many challenges that face them. A lot of them lament the fact that they only have a few minutes with each patient uh, often. And so I don't tell these stories in any way to malign individual medical caretakers. But in this case, there was a kind of policy. The policy was that Parents don't ride in the ambulance. And the policy was that if the child's non compliant, when you're trying to put the IV in, that you sort of hold them down. If you need to put a breathing tube and they're not compliant, you put them in a straitjacket. And these folks, likely because they weren't trained how to deal with people who have Down syndrome and who are different in that way, uh, tried to use force uh, when Jenna appeared uncompl- non compliant. And that was a place where perhaps force is necessary in other circumstances. I- I have my doubts about how often force <laughs> actually can yield the results that they might want, but this was a place where that didn't work for uh, for Jenna and my mother's kind of uh, maternal compassion yielded far better results in those hospital environments than their attempts at, at force really did. Um, my hope would be that uh, as people with Down syndrome and other kinds of disabilities have a higher and higher public profile. The best practices for caring for them in all forms of life um, would be remedied in very in in um, in training for all kinds of jobs where you interact with folks. There are stories um, when a person with Down syndrome will be, say, in a in a in movie theater. There's a there's a very heartbreaking story of a young man who's in a movie theater and and. He tried to stay for a second movie, not knowing that this wasn't permitted. And so the, uh, the movie theater staff basically arrested him, had him arrested by the police because he didn't know what was going on. So, so this is a, a moment where um, it seems like our society has a kind of proclivity toward compliance. And when compliance isn't readily offered, our immediate response is to use force. And I'm not, as I said, I'm not sure that works often at all with with normally developing human beings, let alone with those who have different kinds of intellectual and cognitive disabilities. And in the story I tell here, Jenna didn't fit in with the best practices of the hospital. And so they tried to use force. Mm
0: -hmm. You go on to say along these lines that in fact, the presumption of the undesirability of people with Down syndrome is woven into the best practices and standards of care for these medical professionals and yeah. likely into the wider cultural institutions of Western society. Yeah holy smokes it's just so as a mom who mm-hmm. my oldest daughter is going to be 13 and and we came into the Down syndrome space through adoption and so mm-hmm. there was our story is that there was a moment of having to come to grips with that it but we the when I say we my husband and I, that moment that a lot of women have at their, their diagnosis, not all, but a lot of like devastation and, um, fear and anger was very short lived for me. Mm. So it was a little bit different, but I, I have said, and you say something about this in your article, um, something close to this. I have always said that when the hardest thing about down syndrome is not down syndrome, it's Mm. a world in which down syndrome is not embraced. And when we step outside our front door, we're stepping into a world where systems. Yeah at their very best, have been woven in a way to see Down syndrome as undesirable and therefore right. are going to work against yeah. people with Down syndrome. And like you said, I, I'm not anti-schools, I'm not anti-medicine, like doctors and teachers and, yeah. and community workers, but it is, a, it is just sort of the reality. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, so what are yeah. we supposed to do? Which I, I guess that I have that question for you even like what, <laughs> what do we, and you said there's the more that we have people on the forefront is important. Yeah. We talk a lot on the podcast and in the work I do, representation matters. We yeah. believe that we believe that we believe that things are changing yeah. slowly. However, when my daughter is going to junior high, she is sent into the the system in place puts her in a separate space, separate classroom and her peers most likely have not interacted with someone with down syndrome or maybe a disability at all. And her peers look at her and feel bad for her, feel a negative reaction towards Mm. her because of her disability, because Mm. of society
2: at large. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, I think part of it is, that uh human beings have a natural inclination toward being put off by or scared of Mm. the things that are that are different um and so you know the the kind of bias can operate at two different levels it can operate at the kind of conscious level of active prejudice but i think what is more insidious and more difficult to resolve are the the way the structures are set up to um to be implicitly discriminatory toward mm. people with disabilities, right? So, I mean, you, you can take a you can take an e- e- easy example of of this. Um, you know, last summer, when COVID was starting to take off, um, medical professionals and, and bioethicists, and medical ethicists, started thinking about, well, if if this begins to overwhelm capacity, how do we triage care? And so, how, who do we give respirators to? Right. And one of the standards that will often be used in in things like that is um, uh, quality of life years that could be preserved. Where the idea is here, look, you know, if, 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 a, if an 85-year-old needs a respirator and a 25-year-old needs a respirator, you're probably going to give it to the 25-year-old because they have more quality of life years out in front of them. And so that's a kind of natural triage necessity. But, but what you notice is one of the indications you use in order to make that uh, adjudication is the likelihood of the person to survive, Hmm. let's say you put a couple people with Down syndrome into that environment last summer, which again, never actually had to come about. Um, some numbers uh, from some studies since then have said that children and folks with Down syndrome were 10 times as likely to die from COVID or COVID-related pneumonia or other illnesses as the average, the um, non-Down syndrome person. Um, well, what would end up is if happening is if you put the person with Down syndrome into that triage, they're almost never going to get that respirator (laughs) because they have a lower likelihood of having fewer quality of life years out in front of them. Now, notice nobody constructed this system to be explicitly discriminatory toward people with Down syndrome, right? But the outcome of it, the actual outflowing of it was that we or would have been that people would have uh, we'd have prejudice against a certain kind of, of of group. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about the Atlantic article is the 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 people in Scandinavia uh, in whose society down, people with Down syndrome have been almost totally eradicated, understand themselves to be very opening right. and welcoming. And there's a kind of dissonance between the self-conception that these people have and the actual ways that uh, a structural bias plays out in their entire society, right? So one thing that we can begin to do in order to resolve the problem is to be more and more aware of the way these structural prejudices can play themselves out, even in the absence of any kind of conscious prejudice among a given group of people, right? Um, and I do think that part of that process of normalizing Down syndrome life in, uh, in society is more and more representation, um, more and more visibility, But what often ends up happening is an ableist society will accept people with disabilities on ableist terms and will say to them, we are willing to grant you recognition, attention, even dignity, if you can show yourself to be sufficiently like we are, which is to say capable of high degrees of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And my big argument here in this piece is that I want to Sever the connection between dignity and accomplishment altogether. I want to say that life is inherently worth living, even under conditions of very severe disability, even under conditions of extreme difference, where one person might not be able to see the desirability of other forms of life. It need not be the case that Down syndrome folks need to accomplish just like able bodied and able minded folks need. Need to in order for them to be welcome in our society that's the big claim that i want to make they don't have to be able bodied able-minded in order to have the full complement of human rights and dignities that the rest of us have
0: yes yes and amen drop that mic. i think that and then you talk about this as well what we're up against is this American American and western ideology that success and worth is equal to accomplishment yeah and that and so then that's an uphill battle right and it's like we as as humans as, as a society that really needs to be examined that idea yeah. needs to be examined because i think that when I think for myself, you know, as a able-bodied neurotypical white woman yeah. born into a middle-class home, college grad, I've got all these privileges going for me. And when I start, when I tie my value and my worth to my achievements, I start to feel like I'm suffocating Yeah. and yes. I'm always comparing myself to those who have achieved more. The conversation in our home all the time between my husband and I, is like when I'm about success. We have to stop. Like, what is the measuring stick that you use for success? Yeah. yeah, and I can ask myself that in a way that is helpful because I believe because of my kids with Down syndrome.
2: Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. right?
0: Who will never measure up to yeah, the measuring stick right. society has put out. That's right. To say this is what means you have more worth and value, and and this will bring us back. This makes me think about. And I want to talk a little bit more about um, Chris Nickick mm. and the iron man,
2: mm.
0: because it, what you were saying is we now have with the representation, it's happening in a society where ableism is still very much alive and well. Right. And, yeah. and not even, I think there's a lack of awareness of that. Yeah. Um, and so there's this measuring stick now that if you can, you, if you have down syndrome, and you can do these great things that people yeah. without down syndrome are doing then are you are better right like then <laughs> right. you you are a, right. a, a you have a better kind of down syndrome yeah um right. and we're and we see it everywhere we see it yeah. everywhere and it does feel like i don't know almost like a catch 22 like with the supermodels and and all of these incredible people with down syndrome who are doing incredible things for right. for humans right like right. just in terms of being human and also come like having down syndrome and what that what that means for them but my yeah. kids at their very 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 best are not going to be able to do any of those things yeah yeah and yeah. that's not me limiting them right. right and that's not me that's not me saying no you can't like they just they're just not i know yeah. who they are yeah yeah and yeah it's okay right yeah. like and and there should be I think we need to caution ourselves. This is, I'm speaking to the down syndrome community and parents specifically, as we celebrate people who are more like some people with with down syndrome, who are more like people without down syndrome, and we make that the marker, then we have to, we just have to be cautious not to do that because we're doing the very thing that's causing our kids with down syndrome people we love with down syndrome to not be able to have an equitable amount of space in our societies. Yeah.
2: You know, when I was younger, I was, um, I was in a chess club and I learned that there's opening chess moves that are called gambits. And a gambit is that you give up certain things the beginning in the hope of getting a better position or better moves later on in the, in the game. Right. So you have to sacrifice things in the hope that you get something else. And my view is that a, a lot of the down syndrome publicity uh, right now is basically a gambit like that. Okay. That we're, we're willing to sacrifice in order to say, um, actually, we can, we can compete on your terms. We can play your game at, with the hope of getting full recognition for people with Down syndrome on the back end of it. And I want to say, I understand entirely how that might be a good short-term strategy or medium-term strategy for more recognition. More awareness, more advocacy. But I also want to say, in the very long term, I want to break the connection between dignity and accomplishment altogether. Mm. I want to say, even if I have a person who is incapable of any kind of recognizable accomplish, accomplishment as a meritocratic society would recognize it, I still want to give that person the full complement of, of human dignities. Mm-hmm. And, and one big reason for this is you suggested that not only are people with Down syndrome of, of varying abilities, but um, there are other disabilities that go beyond syndrome, beyond Down syndrome, that might actually be even more disabling. So the a terrible thing would be that we so successfully advocate for people with Down syndrome that they receive full acceptance in our meritocratic society. But by accepting them, the society then does uh, some self-congratulation. And it turns out that there are whole hosts and kinds of other disabilities that are still left outside as undesirable forms of of life, right? Because then what happens is Certain kinds of disabilities become tokenized. <laughs> and you can say, you know, see my disabled friend here, it shows that we don't have any prejudice in our society anymore. And that's just not true. There is worlds of remediation in front of us uh, in our society. I don't know that in a society that prizes accomplishment the way ours does, that there is. There's anything less than a fairly thoroughgoing structural transformation that's required for the full inclusion, welcome, and recognition of people with disabilities. We hinder their flourishing when we make them play the game on ableist terms. Yeah,
0: yeah, a hundred percent.
2: Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> and so, so I, I didn't, I didn't write about this in the article, but you know, yeah. uh, have you seen Peanut Butter Falcon? yes yeah so it's a very interesting very interesting movie because on the one hand um you've got the um the the one of the main protagonists maybe the main protagonist is um, a person with down syndrome and he wants to be a wrestler and so it's sort of a runaway story combined with an adventure story and it's all a very realist kind of movie Um, you've got like child protective services and you've got these bureaucracies and they're worried about how this person is being taken care of. And he's being worried. He's worried about the people oppressing him and and being patriarchal toward him. He wants to have certain kinds of goals, namely being a wrestler. And toward the culminating scene of uh, of the movie, uh, he's wrestling somebody who's very clearly physically superior to him, just enormous, right? And spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it, (laughs) what ends up happening is something like, like magic, like this guy picks up the person who's several hundred pounds heavier than him, heaves him out of the boxing ring and the the young man with Down syndrome wins the the competition. And I want to look at that and say, does that constitute a win for people with Down syndrome? Mm. Well, on the one hand, on the one hand, we'll take the recognition, right? We'll take the representation. On the other hand, it seems like the director and producer of this movie has kind of painted uh, himself herself into a corner that we can't make sense of disabled life without appealing to something like magic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The rules of time and space themselves need to be suspended in order for us to make sense of a down syndrome life having meaning and utility. Right. And I think that movie is actually somewhere where it's telling, it's telling us something deeper than it knows Mm. that, On the terms of this world, we can't make sense of the the desirability and livability of Down syndrome life. We have to break the laws of time and space in order for them to live happily ever after. Wow. Wow.
0: Um, We had (laughs) Shelly Godzaken. Yeah. Godzaken, who stars in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had his mom on the show.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm a big fan of the movie. I, I don't know if we'll include this in the interview but (laughs) yeah yeah well I mean yeah that's fine no what you said what I'm about to say um I so I'm a big fan of the movie for lots of reasons and that that to me felt like a miss yeah I I couldn't read it like you did Mm. I didn't read it like you did but there was like it felt out of place it felt like that didn't that wasn't necessary that wasn't what this movie was about I wasn't I wasn't needing him to win like as someone right Right. I wasn't needing that to happen um Yes. And it was, yeah. And it was, there was nothing in the movie that was fantasy. And then right. there was this right. moment in fantasy.
2: Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. right. very
0: off for me, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't read as deeply into it <laughs> as you did, which I, I appreciate your yeah. analysis on that. And, and, but what I did love about the movie was it, I felt it was done excellently, um, that you did see a main character, Yeah. Who is a man with Down syndrome who was a full human, had like a full scale of emotions. Um, The relationships I felt like were done well. And there's a couple other movies where one of the main characters has Down syndrome and people always recommend it to me. Maybe this has happened to you too. And that, like, so many people do. And then finally I watch it and I'm like, that was a terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you think I would love this? Because I love terrible movies. No, like, we can't, (laughs) we have to do better. Right. have to do better so I appreciated right. that about the peanut butter falcon because yes. it was there was a sense of excellence about it it wasn't just a isn't this sweet and right it um it
2: like a cheesy christian mute movie right yes yeah.
0: yes yeah. it wasn't like, like a commodity <laughs> like they didn't make a commodity out of it
2: and I want to be I want to be clear in, in saying what I'm advocating here in this yeah. article and in the comments here, it is not that I'm mad at peanut butter falcon and I'm totally. mad at people dancing running triathlons. right I, Not at all. No. What, I, what I'm saying is there are two big strategies for inclusion and acceptance and one of them is playing the meritocracy game and one of them is breaking the meritocracy game mm-hmm. and i want to say the short term strategy might be play the meritocracy game mm-hmm. but the long term strategy is break the game altogether mm-hmm. because as as you some of your comments earlier suggested it's not just that that system of tying our dignity self worth uh, to accomplishment is actively prejudicial toward people with disabilities mm-hmm. it's prejudicial toward everybody everybody <laughs> right i mean you know i'm i'm a yale phd student i have jumped through lots of hoops in order to get here and i'm i'm here to tell you you know what happens after you jump through lots of hoops in your life there are more hoops to jump through (laughs) and they're higher and they're smaller and they're more difficult hoops to jump through. Now you need to get a tenure track job. Now you need to become Mm. a full professor. Now you need to be uh, the eminent scholar in your field and on and on and on. And it just breaks people. It breaks people. And that's because we've created for ourselves this society in which dignity attaches to accomplishment. So, yeah. I don't want to go into the kind of what I think is kind of like a, um, a simplistic and very otherizing uh, uh, trap of seeing people with disabilities as kind of innocent, sage teachers that we kind of fetishize and learn mm-hmm. from. That's not my view at all. Jenna sins just like everybody else does. But I do think that this is one place where the lessons we can learn from reflect, reflection upon the lives of people with disabilities are actually universally applicable.
0: Hundred uh,
2: percent, right? So that they become something like the the ones who are injured first by the system we've created, and then it turns out we're actually all being injured by this system. So we're Mm -hmm. learning to view each other as commodities for consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are successful, I rival you, I envy your success. And if you're unsuccessful, then I pride myself over your unsuccess. That's just not working out for anybody.
0: It's not working out for anybody. It's not, and we talk about on the podcast, we talk about shifting the narrative, shifting that down syndrome narrative. And And it's, I mean, on surface level, it is a parent gets a diagnosis we would hope that we can get to a place where there's not instantly a feeling of devastation and sadness and grief. And at the exact same time, only grace for all of the people feeling those feelings. Right. That's right. That's right. And, and, but that's like, we want to shift the narrative in that surface level, but like you, like you're saying here, it is so, so, so much deeper in that like I shared earlier, I am suffocating under these systems Mm. that my worth and value is measured by how successful I am, yeah. successful being determined by a Western idea of accomplishment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That at the end of the day, I will never reach there. Right? Like mm-hmm. the, I will think I have, and there are ten more hoops, and there yeah. are ten more hoops. Yeah, that's right. And there that's will right. always be people better than me at everything I do. Always. Yeah. That's right. And 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 until we break that, we need to break that for ourselves, like for all humanity. Right, that we need to break that for all humanity. And what, why I get real passionate about relationship with people who are different than us and relationship in this regard to people with disability, specifically down syndrome is no, they are not a commodity for me in this journey, but they are my, they have been my greatest guides almost unbeknownst to them. Yeah. Um, and I, and it is because of my proximity and relationship That I'm even able to like step outside and see my own need for breaking out of this these systems.
2: Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, in the the kind of academic study of of disability, you know it. When the disability rights movement started in America, really agitating in the last couple of decades, uh, leading up to the American with Disabilities Act, um, one big sort of political mantra was nothing about us without us, mm-hmm. which is that people with physical disabilities need to have their voices heard and be represented on the councils and legislative bodies that were making the policies that um, that affected them. I think one thing that's difficult about intellectual and cognitive difficulties is jenna doesn't have access to the same kind of education that i do and so in some significant way i have to speak on her behalf and so there's something difficult in trying to be true to her life and experience while also recognizing that there's actually a kind of power imbalance even between me and my sister, and that I can very easily co-opt her narrative for my for my own. Mm-hmm. And I have to be aware of the of the temptations toward doing exactly that sort of, of thing. So what I try to say is, you know, how can I think about Jenna not as an inferior or a superior, as a kind of like fetishized object in one right. way or the other, but as somebody who with me is on the journey toward holiness and union with God from whom I have much to learn and to whom I have much to teach. Yep. Which is to say, how can I come to view Jenna like a person? Like I view almost <laughs> any other person, right? right? Um, and, and, and this is something that I consistently try to do in my, in my own work. You know, neither demean nor, um, nor place on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that, you know, if you if you have good parents, you grow up thinking that they're superheroes Mm -hmm. and then you become an adult and you realize they're not. And if they're really good parents, you get a little older and you realize, no, they actually are (laughs) Mm -hmm. right, (laughs) because um, they're not perfect. They're confused and uncertain, just like you are. And yet, they did a pretty amazing job along the way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I remember my my parents saying, you know, what was our parenting trick with, tr- with Jenna? Treat her like she's a person, like the rest of the kids. Uh, don't ascribe. Don't let her get away with too much. Um, neither play favorites nor play least favorites. Treat her like she's a person. And, and I've um, I've learned from them the value of knowing when to emphasize and, uh, and 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 make central her disability and when to say no actually I shouldn't emphasize that at this point I should emphasize her shared common humanity with all all of the rest yeah. of us right yeah. something that I've noticed in my uh, thinking and reading is that disability theory and especially theology and ethics is incredibly new. Um, In reality, it's maybe 25, 26 years old as a field in in Christian ethics and theology. It, It begins with this book by a woman named Nancy Iceland, The Disabled God, which I believe is published in 1994, I believe. And uh, so I would say to your listeners, like, if there are people, young people, who have interests in disability and want to think about the like sort of formal study of it when you go to college and and go forward, the field is wide open for mm. people to be writing books and manuscripts and articles and uh, and popular level articles um, about this stuff. There are so many questions. That we haven't theorized and answered yet. The field is wide, wide open. So take that as encouragement to your listeners. To like, get out there, get thinking about yeah. how they can think about the questions of disability.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's really good. And and that it is so new is also so yeah. telling why we are where we are. And oh, yeah. we, I say, as someone connected to disability, not as someone with a disability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've
2: been, oh, no, go ahead. Well, it's, it's just stunning. I, I think as, as people with Down syndrome come to be more accepted and normalized in society, I think we, nobody told me how recent it was that the best practices for children being born with disabilities was just to institutionalize them. You know, that was 75 years ago. <laughs> I mean, this, this article that I, that I quote from James Gustafson uh, tells a story in 1963 of a child with Down syndrome who has a, a kind of intestinal disorder. And the child is left to starve over 11 days. Mm-hmm. That was in 1963. That was not that long mm-hmm. ago. And that was the common medical practice. Yeah. So, the, so the, 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 the field of study is relatively new. The questions are very new. And the grave injustices are very, very recent.
0: Mm-hmm and i would also add to that that we are still we being like a neurotypical able-bodied people are still hesitant to listen to the voices of disabled people mm-hmm. um and so that's a problem if mm-hmm. you're if you're studying disability yeah, yeah. and you know and that, i mean that's that's practicing ableism essentially like i right. will i will be the expert on your life Yeah. And, and it, there, there is some gray is not the right word. Maybe it is. It gets tricky and fuzzy when thinking of an intellectual disability versus a physical disability. Exactly. But even still, I think as a society we're so programmed to be anti-disability that we have a hard time listening to people without cognitive disabilities. You are saying excuse me, like for my entire life, I've been spoken for and my voice yeah. works just fine and my brain. And, and I think we need to start. Yeah. that It's really important. I know for me, as I've grown in my space of, al- of advocacy and allyship in the last, I don't know, 15 years or so. Yeah. Um, it really has only been recently that I've tuned my ear mostly to disabled voices yeah. and yeah.
2: yeah yeah you know um yale has a bunch of repositories um in their library of different um uh different testimonies so the people who um one of the famous ones here is there's a a library of holocaust testimony Mm. and it's just videos of people who lived through the holocaust uh and they had long wide-ranging interviews um uh And the idea behind the creation of that archive was these testimonies won't be around forever. And it's of extreme use to scholars to have their voices somewhere public where they can continue to be reflected upon for Mm. generations and generations. Something I've thought about with regard to the disability stuff and and the, 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 the academic study of disability is, I don't know if there's an archive like that of testimony of people Mm. with disabilities, right? Um, So, I I mean, something I've wondered a lot about, it, it would be an enormous undertaking, but what would it be like if we said, look scholars, you might not have access to large numbers of people with disabilities in your immediate group of acquaintances and friends. We're gonna build an online testimony where it's just parents interviewing their kids, kids interviewing their parents, right? Friends interviewing their friends and we're gonna make it publicly accessible and free. And we're gonna think about it as an archive for study such that it can be less and less comprehensible that a person can write a book or an article or even have well-educated opinions about disabilities without consulting an archive of people who are telling their stories and sharing their unique views on the world that would take an enormous amount of um of uh Logistical support and funding and all the rest, right? So maybe I don't know if you have if you have rich donors who listen to your show. Maybe they <laughs> want to fund something like that, right? But it does seem to me again, like, there's so much work to be done in this space, and the sky is the limit yeah. in the terms of archives and resources that we can build. I think in this generation, yeah, um, to understand the and be more faithful to 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 those of us who have disabilities.
0: Yeah, I love that we we started something that is in hopes along those lines, but less mm. in the academic sense called this mm. is down syndrome. And we're just cool. capturing stories of people with down syndrome and those who love them. And love as an archive, as a place for people to go and see themselves in the, in the narrative That's awesome. and, or any, like, if you want to know more about what's going on here, you know? So we, we are, we are trying to make that happen in the down syndrome space. That's awesome. Um, but it, it would, I think that it is necessary. Like you're saying that just how there is the <laughs> archives that exist in storytelling with the Holocaust. Yeah. I mean, have you, did you see Crip Camp?
2: Not, documentary. Yet. Oh, Not yet. Watch yes. it tonight. I know, oh my <laughs> I know. Gosh. I've been told many times that I should, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. But that That's yeah. great to know that you have that archive. I, I didn't know about that. I and mean, that's something I would love to cite in my own thinking and, and working. Um,
0: yeah. We just yeah. started. It started, we launched awesome. this year, March, March track. That's awesome. So That's so good. We are, we, our goal is to do 121 stories this year, which we're completely on track for That's and then, amazing. um, expand it. But yes, we, so we are looking for those giant donors. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right.
0: I'm gonna, yeah. I, I was so excited for this conversation and I feel like we could talk about it for a long time. And I'm learning a lot from what you're saying. Mm. Um, And I hope that these conversations are happening more and more, especially, I think, especially for people who love a person with Down syndrome. I know that for myself, how much I've had to undo in terms of like ableistic thinking yeah, and even how often I find myself feeling discouraged that my kids with Down syndrome aren't that kid with Down syndrome, you know, like, and the undoing I have to do all the time. I just... I think that as people who love someone with Down syndrome, we still, we still have a lot of work to do, you know? And I think that the work is done in these conversations and in trying to further understand what makes a human have value and worth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say, yeah, the breath in their lungs and the heart beating in their chest, like period, (laughs) full stop is where I, where I'm landing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. One, one, one of my professors, tells this this wonderful story there's this medieval theologian who believes there's this concept called hexaity which is the Mm -hmm. thisness that every person has a thisness Ooh, i love it the thing that makes them the thing that they are right and it actually might be hidden from us we might see it only occasionally glimpses and 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 um Uh, glimpses and shadows of it. But there's this strange story in Revelation, the book of Revelation, in in the last book of the Bible, that says, you know, to him who overcomes, I'll give him a white stone with a name written on it that nobody knows except the one who gave it to him. So there's a kind of unique relationship that every individual has to God And my own view is that what it is to love a person in a particular kind of way is to begin to see dimly the kind of love that individuates and particularizes the kind of love that God has for every human being. And what's significant about that concept is it's inherently uncompetitive there's never a sense wow. that god loves you less because you're not this wow. person right wow. the standards of god's love are distinctly individuated in this story and what that allows you to see i think is it look it might be the case that a person with down syndrome is never going to set the sort of 100 meter uh, sprint record that's extremely likely right but it is imminently likely that there are other kinds of virtues and practices that Jenna has that I will be an amateur in until the Mm. day I die. Mm. And when I see the particular glories in Jenna, what I believe I'm seeing is a brief dim shadow of the particular love that God has for Jenna and her own unique identity, which is eternal, and it's hidden with Christ in God, so, uh, so the New Testament teaches us. And what we see when we love a person, with disabilities or not, is the particular thing that God has created about them, their thisness. Mm. And I think one of the great glories of um, a world to come in heaven will be that the thing we love about all the people we, we love will be revealed in its full and unvarnished glory in a way that it's only now hidden. Hmm.
0: That, that, that's it.
2: <laughs>
1: that's, <laughs> done and done,
0: ladies and gentlemen,
2: <laughs> our guest.
0: <laughs> um, Justin, oh, thank thanks you. so much. Thank you, thank you. So the article, friends, is called Dignity Beyond Accomplishment. It's on mere orthodoxy. We will have a link to it. Justin, can you let our listeners know other ways they can find you if you're on social media in any form where you're right where they can find your writings?
2: Yeah, I'm not on social media, but I have a personal website, justinryanhawkins.com. And I have a little contact form there. So if you want to shoot me an email, I'd love to talk to you uh, there. Thank you. Awesome.
0: Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for writing this article. Thanks for sharing Jenna with us. Thank um, you so much
2: for all the work I, you do.
0: I hope to meet her one day. I always say, like with my kids, I am wanting them to have genuine friendships with people who are, don't have disabilities yeah. as well as people with disabilities. And I'm always like, "Where are my friends with Down syndrome?" I'm 30 <laughs> 30 years old. If you are in your 30s and you have Down syndrome, maybe we could find something in common and be good.
2: <laughs> so well, I next, next time you pa- but... <laughs> next time you're in Pennsylvania, let us know. I will for sure. Yeah. All, right. All right. Thank you, thank you so much.
1: Hi friends, so I don't know about you, but for me in our house, we tend to give our sunflower girl the best, but you know what? I definitely feel when it comes to myself, I take a back burner, I put myself last, and I feel like I'm not the only mom who does that. But the thought of going to the gym feels a little bit daunting, and sometimes I can't even find the time. So when I found out about my new friend, Megan, and her awesome, awesome business, I knew I wanted to share. Megan has an awesome business called Oxygen Fitness Coaching, where she is also a mom to a child with Down syndrome and gets that a little time every day makes a difference. And it's really all we have. So she's created a bunch of different programs, including the 12 week mom restore system, which is for busy moms suffering from low energy who wanna improve their health without strict diets and hours at the gym. Plus another program she offers is the 20 minute boost program, which is a daily 20 minute workout you can do right in your home with your kids and it will instantly improve your strength, fitness and flexibility. You guys, we got to take care of ourselves. We got to put on our oxygen mask first so that we can truly be there for our kids so we can stay healthy, we are better able to have that energy to keep up with our kiddos, our mood improves, and we can feel strong and capable as moms. So if you are looking for an attainable way, that's not a crazy diet plan, not a wild and strenuous workout plan, please check out Oxygen Fitness Coaching on Instagram and Facebook. The Lucky Few podcast has our own coupon code, lucky few, and you can get one month free by using that code and sign up. Try it out one month free. You can do it. Use code lucky few. Thanks
0: again to Justin for having that conversation and putting those words out into the world. Let's continue this conversation around what determines our dignity and what determines our worth as humans. And just be grateful this holiday season for our kiddos who help us to see the true value and worth in every human being. Thank you so much. We hope that you are enjoying these throwback episodes. Um, and that you are able to share them with a friend, and that you have a really amazing holiday season, next few days, and an awesome Christmas. As always, we want to hear from you. If you can leave us a voicemail or you can DM us on Instagram, tell us about good news happening in your loved one with Down Syndrome's life. And if you have a product or a business you want to help us shout the worth of people with Down Syndrome, then we'd always look to partner with new partners. You can email hello at the lucky few com for all partnership opportunities. Thank you, Josh Avis, for editing this episode, for Valch Leader, for producing it, and to our sponsor, to all of you who have shared the Lucky Few podcast with friends and listen faithfully and continue to cheer us on. It means more to us than we could ever say. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, dear listener, supporting your loved one this holiday and always um, your loved one with Down syndrome. You are a shatter of worth. You are a narrative shifter. Keep on keeping on. We are here cheering for you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Sending all the love your way.